Now, just very quickly, again, a component is a part of the whole. So this is not the whole process of prayer. It would certainly take, I don't think you can exhaust the whole process of prayer. When you think you've got it figured out, God just shows you a little bit different side or aspect of something that, can, that you can relate to in your communion with him. Because, you know, now that we are born into the kingdom of God, if you are born into the kingdom of God, then you are a son or a daughter of God. And God desires fellowship with you. And if you want to deepen, we use this phrase, a relationship with God, then you have to commune with God. Come on. If you want to deepen your relationship with your wife, you have to communicate with your wife. If you want to deepen your relationship with your children or vice versa to your parents, if you're an adult child, then you have to communicate You have to go through the uncomfortableness and find that sweet spot of communication. And often that is our objective in prayer. But unfortunately, the process breaks down at times and we never find that sweet place. I want to show you how to find that sweet place today. That sweet place when in that moment of time, then the world is silent because God's voice is speaking clearly in your heart. The world is silent because you found that sweet place. And as I prayed in this place on Friday morning, here's the first nugget that God just dropped in my heart, and I knew immediately what it was. This is a part. It's a component of prayer. Number one, it's a solitary place. It's just that simple, solitary place. Mark's gospel, chapter number one, says this, the 35th verse. It says, Jesus awoken or was raised up a great while before day. And he went out and he departed into a solitary place and prayed. A solitary place. I know we live in a congested uh, society. Uh, You guys that are at the uh, upper room, you say, Pastor, you don't understand. Man, we're stacked in there, you know, with beds and and, uh, dormitories and and rooms. And we can't find, I'm telling you, you can find a solitary place. You can find a solitary place. Jesus did. You have to be diligent about it. You have to determine in your heart that you've got to find time by going to a place that you've set apart to be with God. Now, let me give you an example of that. There was a place that's very familiar to those that have studied the New Testament that, um, that Jesus was very familiar with, and it was called Gethsemane. It was a garden that was across the Kedron Valley apart from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It was on the Mount of Olives. It was there that Jesus faced his greatest trial. I'm going to illuminate a couple of points about it here in a moment. And it was there that the Bible says in John's gospel that he and his disciples resorted there often. It was a place that they found solace in. And one of the most famous passages of Scripture when Jesus prayed in Gethsemane was that he went into Gethsemane that night, the night of his betrayal. And the Bible says that he brought the 11 with him. Judas has separated from the pact to betray him. Jesus and the 11 cross the Kidron Valley and they go to Gethsemane. And there Jesus finds the, has the 11 and he says, I want eight of you to stay here. So in this process of prayer, let me just show you just real quickly. There's a part of prayer that even you have a congregational setting. And I'm going to show you in just a moment that you can find a solitary place even in a congregational setting. So Jesus had the 11, that's the group. We need prayer in the group. I believe in corporate prayer. This is a house of prayer, right? You got to start looking like church as a house of prayer. I'm going to go to the house of God to pray. I'm not just going to go to get, I'm going to go to give. I'm not just going to go to worship, I'm going to go to pray. And, and so you get that mindset. So Jesus had the 11, he separated eight. 
So then he takes with him three. Three is now a small group. These are your trusted friends. These are the ones that you can be more intimate with. These are the ones that you can whisper in your ear and say, listen, brother, I need you to pray with me. I need you to pray with me because I can't share this with the eight. I can't share this with the masses of people. I just need you to know that I'm going through a great trial in my life and I need somebody that will stand with me in prayer. That's a special group of people. And there are some things in your life in the process of prayer you don't need put on the phone tree and you don't need to call the prayer chain for. You need to just whisper it in the ear of two or three people that you know that they they believe in you and they believe in the call of God in your life and they're going to stand with you in prayer. Now, I would say like Peter, James, and John, but unfortunately, Peter, James, and John slept when they needed to be watching with Jesus. But this is the key. This is the key right here. The Bible says in those passages that are recorded in the Gospels that Jesus separated himself from them a stone's throw away. Now, let me say that. That means that they were here, but he was there. A stone's throw away. That's a hundred foot this sanctuary is. A stone's throw away. But Jesus knew that there was a great power that can be obtained in the group. That was the 11. He knew that there was great intimacy with the three. But what he knew that he needed to fight the battle that he was facing, he had to be alone with God. And he found a place to be in a solitary place, even in a more of a corporate setting. And I want to encourage you, find your solitary place. I don't care where it is at. It might be in your automobile. It might be in an office in your house. It might be in the living room when everybody's asleep. It might be walking in the woods. If, I don't know. You've got to work that out on your own. But I'm telling you, you want to see God work in your life in the process of prayer. You've got to get a solitary place. Come on, somebody. Number two, this is a very critical one. This is the one I'm going to challenge you on today, perhaps as much as any. Many people believed in that point enough to give me a witness with it audibly audible pastor i don't want anybody to hear me when i pray let me just show you about prayer you say pastor god knows my heart i know he knows your heart i know that the psalmist said before a word is formed on your tongue god already knows it i already understand that but see we're not talking about meditation we're not talking about musing we're not talking about murmuring in the good sense we're talking about prayer which is communication and so communication is going to travel through a very important vehicle called your vocabulary Because God responds to an authoritative word that is spoken based upon his word. And I'll show you this here very quickly. Let me show you this right here. I'm going to go. I just want to read it instead of on the screen. I'm going to read it out of the scripture text. In Luke's gospel, chapter number 11, where we read just a moment ago, the second verse. Let me just read it. Let me show you this. This has been proven in my own life, proven based upon the scriptures. I'm going to show you. But in Luke's gospel, chapter number 11, the second verse And he said unto them, when you pray, meditate. When you pray, just keep it inside here and think about it quietly so as to not disturb anybody else around you. Now, that's not what he said. He said, when you pray, say. So you say, what's the the necessity of a spoken word? See, because the word, the word has power. By your words, you're justified. By your words, you're condemned, right? By your words, you can unlock heaven. God has put an anointing upon the word. And so the expression of the word, when you pray, say. Let's go a little bit farther. I haven't convinced you. Even in a group setting, say, Pastor, I get a little bit uncomfortable. I know that there are times in a group moment that it can be uncomfortable when there are loud prayers like me. I understand that. But I want you to know this real quickly. I believe enough in the byproduct of being audible in prayer to not allow myself to be muted 
because you're uncomfortable. Rather, I'm going to challenge you that if you'll get lost with God in that alone place, even in the larger setting, there'll come a moment when it won't matter what's going on around you. Jesus was locked in prayer with God, and there was a host of soldiers coming to arrest him and betray him and turn him over, but he was alone with God, wrestling with God just minutes before they arrived. And so I want you to know you can find a way. You can. I'll tell you, you get that sweet place in prayer. So let me go a little bit farther. Look at this. In Acts chapter number 4, this was in a group setting. This is when the Sanhedrin told the, the, the early church, you can't preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. The 24th verse, what does it say? And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice. Did you hear that? Let's read this together. They lifted up their voice. They lifted. Are y'all catching what I'm saying? Well, you say, well, pastor, I want to be spiritual. I want to be like the New Testament church. Then open your mouth up. Don't come to church and be silent. Right? Come to church and be vocal and lift your voice up. Unite your voice with somebody else that says, I want somebody to stand with me. They're telling me we got to shut up. They're telling me we can't preach in the name of Jesus. But they lifted up their voice and they said, God, I'm telling you there's power released when we join ourselves collectively and we pray audibly, even collectively together. Let me give you, say, Pastor, you're not convincing me just yet. Well, good. I'm not finished yet either. Psalms. Let's go to Psalm 55. I want you to see this one with me. I wouldn't do this to you. I would not, I'm not trying to say that there are not quiet moments. There are quiet moments. Come on. There are times that you pray quietly and silently in your heart to God. The Bible says, Paul said, pray always without ceasing. So I understand there are times we're just musing in our hearts, communicating to God, thinking and praying and inside of ourselves, worshiping God. I understand that. But when you have an opportunity to be audible, let me tell you, you need to be audible. Look at this real quickly. Psalm 55, verse number 17 says, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray. Come on. I, I didn't write this. I'm just reading it. Right? I will cry aloud, and he will do what? And he shall hear my voice. He'll hear my voice. He'll hear my voice. You say, Pastor, you get real loud. God must be deaf. No, it's not about whether I'm louder than anybody. That's not the objective. It's whether or not that I believe in what I'm saying. That's the objective. Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I be- Here's what Paul said. He said, we believe, therefore we speak. So I believe it in my heart and I confess it with my mouth, even in prayer to declare the glory of God. And so be audible. And you say, Pastor, you still hadn't quite convinced me. Let me show you one more. Then I got to move on. You got to work this out on your own. But I'm just telling you, it can revolutionize your prayer life. I'll tell you what it did for me. It revolutionized my ability to preach. When I was just a young man, 18, 19 years old, and I accepted the call of ministry at 16, and I, when, I, when I, wanted to, I wanted to preach one way with a fervency, and when I closed my eyes and meditated, I saw myself preaching with a fervency, but when I would get up to preach, I was intimidated. 
I was timid. I couldn't convey what I wanted to say. But when I got alone with God in prayer and I began to walk through the woods and began to preach and pray and prophesy and sing songs aloud, I found that I broke open the dam, glory to God. I found that that's when the spring that was inside of me was just waiting to bubble up out of the earth. And then it wasn't long after that time of prayer, the, the way that I envisioned myself preaching is the way that I began to preach. Right, and that, the component was prayer. That was, that, was the, that was the necessity that brought, brought the release in my life. Let me show you this last passage just real quickly, and i got to move on. Matthew, let's go back to Gethsemane. Just Jesus in Gethsemane is such a model of prayer. I thank God that Jesus taught us how to live. He didn't just teach us how to die. Right, he died for us. He died as a sacrifice, we, don't, we look at his death, yes, but we also look at his life, right? He left us an example, Peter said, and in his passage, these passages in prayer, let me just show you very quickly. It's in this same passage, Matthew 26, three verses. We're only going to focus on a part of it, 39th verse. And he went a little, so now this is Jesus. This is when his sweat became like great droplets of blood. This is when the enemy's trying to, to, to persuade him to not go to the cross. This is when Jesus' flesh is crying out and saying, go. You don't have to go to, through this. God will make it salvation another way. His flesh didn't want to feel the weight of that cross on his shoulders. Right? He knew what he was going to go through the next day. His flesh was revolting. Right? Many of you have been there in that moment. Your flesh is revolting. You need the Spirit of God to work in your life or your flesh is going to cause you to, to vacate the will of God. And so look what Jesus did, 39th verse. He went a little further. He fell on his face and prayed. Next word. What does it say? Saying. Saying. Look at that. Saying. Let's go to the 42nd verse. He went away again the second time and he prayed. Come on. Saying. 44th verse, and he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying. saying. So in order for you to grow into the process of prayer, I'm going to challenge you today. Pastor, you don't understand. I'm just a timid. I'm a quiet person. I don't care. I don't care. Get alone with God. Get alone with God and be audible. I'm not saying you have to yell. I'm not saying you have to jump up and down. I don't know. I'm not saying you have to cup your hands. I'm just saying there's power in the audible word. There's power in the audible word because it's releasing the faith that's contained in your heart. The faith that's contained in your heart is looking for a way. It's looking for a way. When you get audible in prayer, a lot of powerful things can happen. It's not just petition that can be made in that moment. There's a lot of other things that time won't allow me to go into. Number three, real quickly, this bubbled up right here at this altar. On Friday morning, I wrote this word down, submission. Submission. One of your, perhaps the greatest pursuit of prayer should be submission to the will of God. Not just the answer to your request, not just to the looming need that's in front of you. We all have needs. Remember what Jesus said? He said, before you even ask, your father already knows. He already knows what you have need of. And so even when you say, Pastor, but even when I'm in crisis, yes, even when you're in crisis, perhaps the greatest need in your life at that moment is simply submission to the will of God. Because I want to say this. There are some situations in life that you'll find yourself praying about and you're praying against the will of God. Until you continue to pray and then the Holy Spirit shows you. Example, Gethsemane. 
Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, many of us have prayed prayers of deliverance. Jesus had prayed and delivered many people from crises. And in that moment, he's praying a prayer that we would uh, often pray ourselves. God, deliver me from the vice, the situation. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. You want your life, guys, to become conformable to the will of God? Then you've got to find the place of submission in prayer. And prayer is the place where you submit yourself and you walk away saying, God, it's done. It's finished. Let your will be done, not mine. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not what about I desire. It's not what's good for my flesh, my appetites, my carnal desires. God, it's about your will. Whatever you want to do in my life, however you want to use me, God, let your will be done in this situation. So submission to the will of God must be one of your greatest pursuits in prayer. Man, that's good right there. Number four today, I wrote this word down in my notes. Number four, praise. Let me just say that again, just praise. I put it this way, praise has to be a part of prayer. All prayer cannot be petition only. All prayer can't be about, I need this, God do this, I'm asking for this. It can't be somewhere along the line. You just got to stop and say, you know what, man, God, you are so good to me. God, I just got to thank you for the blood. Lord, I just want it. God, I'm asking for a blessing for my family. And I'm asking, you know, God, we got this need in our church. But God, I just want to thank you that you hung your son on a cross. He died between two thieves. He died in my stead. And when he died, I died with him. And God, I just want to thank you today that now I can call you father because of the blood that was shed on the cross. Somewhere along the line, in the middle of all your petition, in the middle of asking God to bless your house, your household, your children, your pastor, to pray for the nation in the middle of all that you got to say father you are so glorious god you are so gracious you are high and holy you are above and not beneath there's none beside thee god father all the angels are going to fall down and call you holy and i'm going to join my voice to the somewhere in the middle of your petitioning to god you got to say god let the spirit of david fall on me i will enter your courts with thanksgiving i'll enter your gates with praise i will declare your name to a thousand generations you are good and your mercy endureth forever glory to God hallelujah and I'm telling you in the middle of your prayer time a praise service will break out man I'll tell you what you get audible with it I know these are some dynamic singers and musicians but you don't have to have them to get your praise on you don't have to have them you just got to have it woven into the fabric of your prayer that you're going to give God. Isn't that what Paul said in Philippians? He said, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So we give God praise in the middle of our prayer. Number five, I'm moving rather quickly. There's not great depth to these, but this is what the Spirit, this is equipping you. My job as a pastor is to equip you, to show you principles that I have proven in my own life. Time after time again. There's not a lot of things that I could stand on this platform and I could take you to in my experiences with that I could actually give you precepts or principles that I know to be proven. There's just a handful of things that I could list off and say, well, I could probably give them a good turkey hunting discussion. 
I could probably teach them how to shoot a basketball. I, I know I could do that, how to shoot a basketball correctly. I might could talk a little bit about building a house or something like that. Uh, that's about the end. I could tell them about how to raise children. Yes, and so, I, that, but after that, it would start getting a little shallow. But I'll tell you one thing I can, that I've proven time and time again, this process of prayer, it works. It works. It makes much power available in your life. Number five today is the labor of intercession. The labor of intercession. Intercession is when you feel somebody else's need. Intercession is when it's not your petition that you're really focused on, your situation. It's not your plight, but it's somebody else's. It's a special group of people in the church. There's some here among us today. They're called intercessors. Intercessors are those that just, they live to stand in the gap. And you say, Pastor, I don't understand the concept of intercession. It just simply means to stand betwixt. So let me put it this way as simple as I can. Let's put God in heaven for a minute. Now, we know God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. David said in Psalm 139, if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I ascend to the highest parts of heaven, behold, thou art there. So we know God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But let's, he also, the Bible says that he's enthroned in heaven. So let's just say God's in heaven and there's a situation here on earth. And that situation is great. It might be a family member. It might be a situation that, that you are aware of. And the burden is on your heart. The burden is on your heart. The Holy Spirit has laid that burden on you to take it to God in prayer. And so intercession is when you say, God, I know that you have a perfect will about this situation. I know that you have the ways and the means to get glory and to bring good to people through this situation. So I'm going to put my hand in your hand. Are y'all with me? This is, you say, I'm showing you the mechanics of it, the motion of it. I'm not saying you have to do this in a visual display in your prayer time. I'm just doing it for your understanding here today. And so I say, God, I put my hand in yours. I stand on the promises of God. I stand on your word. And then I reach my other hand down to the situation that I know that God is fully aware of, but he's asked me to stand as an intercessor for. It's very laboring to be an intercessor. You feel the weight. You feel the emotion. You're, you feel the urgency and you get a hold of their hand and you begin to pray and you call upon the name of God and somehow through your prayers, you, are determined, you have determined to bring those two hands together. You're bringing that person and their situation's need into the hand of God where God can work in the situation for his glory and for their good. Every one of us that have ever had the burden of intercession laid upon us have felt its weight. It's not always glorious. It's not always when you walk away from intercession, you don't always walk away refreshed. Many times I walk away from prayer and I walk away refreshed, especially if I hit that praise moment. But when you walk away from intercession, oftentimes you feel the exhaustion that comes with filling somebody's need. But let me tell you, say, if you really want to be close to the heart of God, Christ is close to the heart of God and he is an intercessor right now. He's interceding. The Bible says one of the few, only few times that the word interceding is used in the King James Bible is that Christ ever lives to intercede for you and I right now. And so when you take upon yourself the role of an intercessor, you're following Jesus' own ministry. And you're saying, I'm willing to pray for somebody that I may not really know that well, but somebody asked me to pray for them, so I'm going to yoke up in prayer with them. We're going to do that in just a moment of time. I'm going to close in just a minute. Number six, I tell you what, this one just dropped in my spirit. 
Now, I'm familiar with this word because I've been trained in the King James English. But I studied it out a little bit farther, and this got a hold of me. I could have preached this whole message. I know some of you get a little antsy. I'm almost to the finish. I told you seven. This is six. Do the math. That means I'm almost finished. Importunity. Is that a word you use very often? Importunity appears one time in the King James English Bible. Same passage, Luke's Gospel, 11th chapter. They asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he taught them what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive me of my trespasses as if I forgive those who have trespassed against me. Is that right? Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And immediately Jesus went into this little parable. And in this parable, he said, let's say that one of you, because he said, ask, ask and you'll receive. He said, let's say that there's a, he said, a friend of yours shows up at your house and it's late night and, and they're needing something to eat and you don't have anything to eat, but you know your neighbor does. And so you go over to your neighbor and you begin to knock on the door. And he says, from the inside, he calls out and said, get out of here. So me and Jojo used to live right across from each other. So what if I went over and knocked on the door late at night, it's midnight. Joe, man, somebody's come. Joe's like, get out of here, Pastor Brown. I ain't opening the door. I'm in bed. I got my wife, got my children. Get out of here. And he said, because, this is paraphrasing this passage, he said, because he won't rise up and give you bread because he's your friend, because he knows you, he said, but because of his importunity. Importunity means shamelessness. That you just continue knocking. You just, it's almost rude. It's almost like, I got a right here. I'm going to knock until I get my answer. If you study it out, in in essence, that's what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, there are times you're not getting your response. But if you will continue to believe God, if you'll continue to pursue, if you'll continue to knock, and I'm not talking about vain repetition. I'm talking about standing on the promises of God. So a shamelessness is almost like, God, you said it, I believe it. I'm not demanding it, but God, I am going to stand on the authoritative word that you've already promised. And I hadn't got it. It's not manifested in my life yet, but God, I'm going to not let you forget about it. I'm going to keep on knocking in the mechanism of prayer. I'm going to use prayer to remind you of the promises of God. A shamelessness that you said people are talking about you. Well, let me put, let's go back to intercession for a moment. You're praying for your child who's on drugs. You're praying for them. You're interceding for them. Others are say, well, you just need to give up. But you're like, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up on God. And I know the seed is in my child. Because I sowed that seed in their heart when they were young. And so I'm going to continue to stand before God and I'm going to remind him of his word. And every time that I pray, I'm not going to say, God, look at my child. He's a drug addict. He's an alcoholic. He's bound by addictions. I'm going to say, God, he's a servant of God. He's a child of God. He belongs to you. He's destined for good things. He's destined for great things. I'm going to be shameless about it. I don't care what people are saying about me. I don't care how many times the devil whispers in my ear, God, I'm going to stand upon the word of God. And I'm going to trust you to answer my prayer in Jesus' name. My God, this is good today. Lastly, lastly today, these bubbled up in my spirit right here at this altar, written down on, on Friday morning. 
just words, just words, just one or two words bubbled up and I knew it was of the Lord and I needed to write them down to share them with you. And lastly today, confession. Confession. Confession is a powerful gift from God. Confession is a release, Jojo. It's almost like if you had an infection and, you know, it had to be bled out. Some infections just got to be bled out. Confession is just that bleeding out. Confession is just, there's multiple layers to confession. Confession first is your sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 2 and 1, my little children, I write these things unto thee that thou sin not. But if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What's that advocate mean? He's that intercessor that's standing there. So when the accuser, who is the one that's accusing you, Jesus is your defender. And the accuser's saying one thing, but the advocate's saying something else. And I got good gospel news. His voice carries more value in heaven than the voice of the accuser. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And it comes, you initiate the advocate working on your behalf when you confess to the Father. You confess to the Father. You just simply confess and say, Father, I confess. But it's not just your confession of your sins. It's often your weaknesses. There are weaknesses that are not sin. There's a weakness that says, God, I'm in a, I'm in a weak moment. I'm in a trial. I'm in a difficult season. God, I'm weak. David, I love this passage right here. And this is the seventh. David said this. David said, I am, I'm weak this day, though anointed king. He said, I'm still the king, but I'm weak. And so when you confess, you're simply saying, God, I can't do this. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Yeah, I can, you just say, you just, it's okay to say, God, I can't do this in and of myself. I need your help. I need your strength, God. I need your strength to come upon me. So you confess not only your sins, but you confess your weaknesses. And then you also confess your dependency upon God. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to lean on you today, God. I can't do it, but you can. God, I confess that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Lord, I confess. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Right? It's the grace of God. It's not me that worketh. It's the grace of God working in me mightily. I confess that. And so listen to this as I close today. Who's on the platform with me today? Is you Sharon? Or, or not Shane, but Aaron. I think I said Sharon. <laughs> Sharon. Shane and Aaron. Sharon. That's funny. I don't care where you're from. Um, profession. Confession leads to profession. Profession is a declaration. And ultimately, when you don't wallow in your confession, but value your confession. Does that make sense? You don't wallow at it every time. Woe is me. On over and over again. But you confess and then you profess that you're free. You've bled that thing out by releasing it from you. Confess your sins unto God. If we confess unto him, he cleanses us. He makes us whole and complete. And then we stand complete in him. We don't wallow in self-pity. We don't continue to wallow in the pain of the past. We profess what he's done in our lives. And it's a byproduct of confession that I believe it begins to be measured out in your life through prayer. Through prayer. So today, today, let me see what time it is. It's 12 o'clock noon. 
So I've had about 40 minutes of your time today to take you and to share with you principles that I believe in. Now I want to go back. Let's connect this together. Let's connect the dots. Luke chapter 1, Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. There's a lot of things that I could try to teach you about in the kingdom of God that might help you. But I'm not sure that there's anything any greater that will help you mature into the individual God wants you to be than to teach you to pray. Because when you learn to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling in the presence of God through the process of prayer, then Christ begins to work in you in a special way. It's a powerful way. It's a very, very powerful way. These principles that I've shared with you, they work in group, they work in small group, and they certainly work privately. It's not all that there is, it's just a few. I could preach another sermon immediately with seven more components. This is, but these are valuable truths, valuable truths. But they have no value if you don't exercise them. For Christmas, Sherry, or the kids knew that I had, I wanted to get the total gym. I can know that you, I know, I know your first thought is, Pastor, I can't tell that you're not working out. Well, your biceps are bulging out of your shirt there. What's that one preacher that you like so much over on the East Coast there? What? No, no, the, with the music, Elevate, on the East Coast. No. Stephen Furtick, yeah. I know there's no Stephen Furtick up here on this platform right now. <laughs> I'm more like Samson before the anointing comes on. So the kids, knew, <laughs> the kids knew that I had been looking at the total gym, but the total gym, in order to get Chuck Norris to sit on the total gym and slide up and down it for the last 20 years, you have to pay $1,500 for the total gym. So Leroy was looking at the Walmart version of the total gym for $113 or $132. Well, the kids sniffed out that I've been looking at it, and they bought one for me for Christmas. Put it together. Cut out of the cardboard the pictures of all the workouts. What month is it? Is this July? I'm going to confess. I have yet, yet to work out on it a single time. I've walked around it. I've folded it up. I've tripped on it. This is not lying. I've told Anna and Kai, get off of it. You're going to break granddad's workout equipment. I've hung clothes on it. We've done everything. And now, after this recent move, it's in a storage building on the bypass, waiting for a brighter day. I said that to tell you, that has no value to me if I don't exercise on it. All these principles will just be nothing but a sermon that has been spoken and will just dissipate if you don't put it into practice. You got you to take it and use it do something with it. I want to close with one final. I want to ask everybody to stand up. It's noon today. We've had a couple of special prayer requests today. People that just said, Pastor, let's be, can I be anointed with oil? Because they're interceding about some really difficult situations. I won't retain the whole group of people tonight.